I'm your host, Neil Langridge, and I'm delighted to be joined by a giant of AppSec, Jeff Williams, the founder and CTO of Contrast, as well as the co-founder of OWASP. We'll ask, is application security working? The importance of security in DevOps for applications of all types has never been more critical, but is there a better way for us to approach it? And what's the role we all play, from CISOs to governments to the channel? Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Return of the Hack, the podcast from E92+. I'm your host, Neil Langridge from E92+, and I'm absolutely delighted today uh, to be joined by Jeff Williams, CTO of Contrast Security, and also very well known as the founder of OWASP. Hi, Jeff. Nice of you to join us. Hi, Neil. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. No, thanks very much. So um, where if we start with a bit of background in terms of, uh, you know, how people might uh, might know you and how you a little bit on your, your journey into application security. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing this for well over 25 years now. I started as a developer. I worked on a, a highly secure government project for a number of years. And it's actually, you know, the level of security that we achieved back in the late 80s, early 90s was way higher than what people are targeting today, which is a little disappointing. Um, I, I am just one of the founders of OWASP. Uh, there were a number of people involved at, at the beginning, but I was the first global chair of OWASP. And so I helped to really stand up the foundation and uh, get the chapters programs going. and. I led a couple of projects there, like uh, the OS Top 10 and WebGoat and uh, ASVS and a number of others that were pretty popular. I led a bunch of others that were not popular at all, by the way. <laughs> you know, you, you, you've got to swing a few times to be able to hit a home run, so. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but so, I've been really fortunate to work with a lot of really big companies, uh, helping their AppSec programs get started and uh, developing them. And uh, currently I'm at Contrast Security where we've built a runtime security product. It uh, helps organizations find vulnerabilities, analyze their libraries, and protect applications. And uh, it's a little different than the other offerings on the market. Uh, we think it's a lot more conducive to DevSecOps and uh, better security. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Thank you. So, I mean, you know, when we are going to, interesting, your kind of roles kind of, you know, have that combination of both on the, the commercial side with the business and then obviously in the kind of more, you know, evangelizing kind of best practice around kind of application security. But kind of, I suppose that, you know, a lot of what we've kind of, we, we talk about, um, you know, with E92 and our partner community and, you know, it often tends to be the default focuses on network security, on traditional around infrastructure and obviously kind of cloud and everything. Yeah. Kind of, how is AppSec different? How, how do we need to think about it in a different way compared to more kind of traditional network or perimeter-based security? Yeah, so, I mean, really, they're, they're both absolutely critical. Uh, you know, network security for a long time has been the way that uh, attackers have broken into organizations. But I'd say, you know, over the last 10 years or so, organizations have gotten a lot better at that, uh, moving to the cloud, using uh, software-defined infrastructure and so on has made a lot of, of improvements in that area. In fact, many organizations are kind of out of the business of running their own data centers, right? They use the cloud. And, uh, you know, frankly, there's a lot of security advantages to that. People like to talk about the dangers of the cloud, but frankly, to me, it's much more likely to be secure if, you're, if someone who does that all the time is running the, the platform. Application security is just as important. In fact, I, I think it, in a lot of ways it's much more difficult than network security because where 
you build networks out of you know a small number of predefined kinds of things like firewalls and hosts and operating systems and so on. But at the application layer, you can build anything you want. I used to say like network security is like building with Lego and application security is like sculpting with clay. And so there's a lot more degrees of freedom and it makes for a lot more creative and interesting ways of making mistakes. Uh, but it, they're really both equally important. Like you, you can't be secure if you don't have your infrastructure secure. And even if you have the most inf secure infrastructure in the world, you can't be secure if you don't lock down your APIs and, and custom code. So uh, it really is a, an incredibly important part of the puzzle, as, especially as more and more businesses are turning their businesses into software. Yeah, I mean, I mean that kind of gets talked a, a lot. That kind of phrase of like, you know, in the you know in the next whatever, however many ten years, every business is going to be a software business. I think that can always be taken to a pinch of salt. But I suppose you know we are really seeing that in terms of technology at the heart of so much kind of innovation beyond just the basics of what a company is best known for. Yeah, I think there's, I think that kind of thinking is interesting because I do think that the companies that are best at software are much more likely to dominate their sector. And unlike the past where you could have, you know, lots of, of players in a market, the, if there's one that gets the software really right, they can walk away with the whole market. And so uh, it, it is interesting to see whole sectors turn into software, uh, you know, and you've seen it happen in like the video industry. Uh, you don't see a lot of blockbuster stores anymore. Now you see you know, I think that becoming a great software company is pretty critical for almost any business. Yeah. But if, it, if we think about, therefore, kind of, you know, the, the, the software and the apps at the heart, you know, one of the things we kind of, you, you touched on at the start is the fact that, you know, when you when you started this, you know, kind of journey out in, in application security, things are a lot more secure now. So I suppose the easy kind of easy question is what went wrong? Well, I, you know, I wish I had a great answer to that. I think, uh, you know, in some ways, application security is is harder than network security. And so, you know, sometimes people tend to work on, like, the easy thing that's right in front of them rather than the big hard thing that they don't know how to solve. And uh, the, the tools in AppSec traditionally have not been great. They generate lots of false positives. They require a lot of experts to use. And uh, they haven't really scaled very well. So uh, that's something that we're trying to change. We're trying to make, uh, you know, sort of democratize the, the application security tool market. Because without tools that do most of this, you're never going to win the AppSec battle. There's just too much code being written too fast. And so you, you can't get in front of it. And so we really need need a much better automation and you know well that's that's what i do every day is try to figure out how to how to make that make that work really scalable really accessible to every developer in the world yeah and i suppose you're constantly trying to secure something that potentially five minutes ago didn't exist i suppose that that, that the kind of the bedfellow of security and networking is easy because you're you're securing a thing something you've already got whereas with with application security you know you're you're, you're securing something on the fly that as i said it has just literally been built potentially yeah i guess that's a, a curse and a blessing actually because uh you do have an advantage if you're securing the code that you just wrote 
it's easier yeah. in some ways than securing some product that some other vendor is writing. And if you find a problem, then you've got to go work with them or get the patch. I find actually I find infrastructure security really a little bit boring because it's really about patching. At the end of the day, like you just got to monitor, see what versions you got, apply the patches and keep up to date. But when you're writing your own code, there are no patches. Like you have to find the vulnerabilities yourself. They're all zero days. And so <laughs> yeah, yeah. You and you're making to really be on your game uh, to, yeah. to do that well. Yeah. But kind of, I suppose it's, it, there's also kind of a, a different way of working with those teams. And I suppose this is where kind of the importance of security gets built in of the, I suppose, to a start kind of who owns that? Is it, is it dev or is it security or is it somebody else? It's, it does vary a little bit between organizations, but I think really it, it needs to be a shared responsibility. The most security teams are great at what they do. They're good at thinking about risks. They're good at prioritizing. They're good at analyzing, but they're not in the code. They're not making changes to the code. Uh, and so development has to be involved. Security, for I think for most things, probably doesn't have to be involved. If it's uh, you know risks that we know and understand, SQL injection, XXE, SSRF, uh, you know, expression language injection. I don't think, you know, the, the security folks need to be in reanalyzing that every time. Like those things can be handed off to developers. If, if you've got it identified and identified accurately with the right information, then developers can fix that themselves and check in clean code and keep uh, the pipelines moving. It's the novel stuff where we need that to focus our security expertise. Things like you know, threat intelligence, threat modeling, security architecture. That's really where I think our, we should spend our, our security expertise. And so I think of security teams more as like coaches and toolsmiths rather, rather than in the day-to-day -day pipelines, uh, in the, the critical path of delivering functionality to production. Because if they get in that, there's not enough of them, they'll immediately create a bottleneck and it won't scale. Yeah. And then, you know, then you're just kind of, you know, kind of interfering line by line with, with dev and they need to be focused on, yeah, obviously kind of, kind of building it. Has this, has this kind of movement, kind of, kind of moved to the cloud of so much infrastructure and obviously kind of greater use of things like APIs, has that helped bring more security teams kind of closer to the, the dev teams because, you know, they're now kind of working more in the same place? It, I think it depends a little bit on the organization. Some organizations have really adopted the DevSecOps kind of philosophy and they're bringing those teams together. Uh, others, I, I think, are you know, really so siloed kind of security teams working very separately from development teams. Um, so I suppose it's all, all things, as much as you can kind of, you know, the idea is always to integrate with security kind of, you know, built in by design rather than, a, you know, an afterthought and a, you know, a kind of an added layer. Well, yeah, I guess the, the only danger with that kind of thinking, and look, there's nothing wrong with the idea of secure by design, secure by default. I think that's, that's a powerful goal. But I will say that security... Many security people have this very waterfall way of thinking that they haven't really indoctrinated the DevOps kind of philosophy. And so they tend to think like, 
I got to get my security requirements squared away. I'll get a design. I'll build some stuff and then I'll check it later. And so when you say things like secure by design, the security people here, like, okay, that means I need to nail down the full system architecture really early in the process, which is yeah. antithetical to the way that most developers think about building things and, and the, the sort of way of doing DevOps, which is much more like let's let's complete one feature all the way through and then we'll work on another use case and that you know that we, we'll do it in sprints and we'll evolve the design over time and we'll get there in the end i think it's much more effective that way because you tend to stay sort of closer to the end goal what the customer really wanted whereas if you try to do the big design up front you'll make all these mistakes and you won't catch them until very late in the process. And so it ends up being very expensive to try to fix that way. So, you know, I'd encourage every security person to go read the Phoenix project and really try to, to adopt the principles that are, are set out there. Yeah, I suppose kind of and just making sure that, that kind of the teams are kind of, you know, uh, kind of aligned from a cultural perspective. That's kind of, you know, really important. You know, we, we've uh, we've seen, you know, the kind of mantra with that's been popularized by uh, by some well-known figures of kind of move fast and break things in terms of if that's how your dev team roll. I suppose that's how security's got to roll as well. Well, the funny thing is, I think that, you know, while it, it sounds reckless, it actually <laughs> is a much better way to end up close to the goal. If you continuously yeah. break things as you're going, you're going to end up with something that's much more resilient by the end. And uh, I think security people tend to think of DevSecOps as like, how can I take the security practices that I know and love and shove them into DevOps, which yeah. is a weird way of thinking about it. DevOps was all about transforming the work of development from, you know, big monolithic tasks that took years. My first project we, we worked on for three years and never delivered a single thing into production. <laughs> uh, but security work is still kind of that way. It's yeah. not, we didn't, we haven't changed the work of security. We haven't broken it down into small pieces. We haven't created tight feedback loops. We don't deliver a pen test, you know, like one tiny test at a time over the course of a project. Instead, we do this big pen test where we test for all different kinds of security problems all at once. And that's got to change. Yeah. That's what DevSecOps yeah. Yeah, and kind of building that kind of building that kind of, you know, those those kind of frameworks and those processes to be able to to make sure that they line properly is kind of, you know, is is really important. I, I know one of the and one of the things you talk about as well is from a, you know, I suppose it applies both internally and externally in an organization is is transparency as well. And that kind of open open communication is really important. Yeah, I've been a big advocate of transparency. Sometimes I call it security and sunshine. And, you know, they say sunshine is the best disinfectant. Well, it's, it's yeah. true. Uh, I believe that when you put all the facts on the table and people can understand the risks in software, people will make the right choices. The problem is when organizations don't have security and sunshine and it becomes a uh, not a blameless culture, but a blameful culture, uh, yeah. then security tends to get pushed into the shadows there there ends up 
becoming blame and uh, acrimony around security vulnerabilities and attacks. And that leads to more hiding, and it becomes this sort of feedback loop of bad security. So one of the, the cool things that's happening in, in the market is uh, that some governments are demanding more transparency. Uh, yeah. In the U.S., we're demanding SBOMs. We're demanding attestations about what security practices were followed when building the software. And forcing organizations to be public about that will change things. Right now, many organizations are carrying massive backlogs of security vulnerabilities. I know in many cases, it's hundreds of thousands of vulnerabilities, and I know of some that are well into the millions of vulnerabilities that they've identified. They're sitting in a backlog, but they're not getting remediated. And yeah. I think that I, I think the public would be shocked. I think Congress would be shocked if they knew that was the case. And so this movement towards transparency, I think, will really force organizations to start doing what they really ought to be doing. We're not talking about, uh, you know, terrible onerous practices here. We're talking about basic security blocking and tackling. And I, I think it should be public because if it's not, it's you know, people aren't going to do it. They're going to continue to just sort of push it into the shadows. Yeah. And it, I suppose it's one of those areas where I think it, it kind of it has that potential for for kind of, you know, kind of public kind of drive and, and, and kind of consumer behavior to affect it more because when we talk about kind of data breaches and organizations kind of getting hacked and it's it went through IOT or there was a clever attack and there was a compromise on the firewall and it hit their database and everyone's like well okay I don't really understand what that means but then when they talk about the app that's on their phone everyone's like oh yeah well I get that I suppose application security is actually in a way as a public that's what we're closest to that's what we probably understand best in terms of that is our interaction with a lot of these organizations it's the bit we see yeah and it's interesting i mean it's really like just the tip of the iceberg that you actually see because behind every app that you interact with like either through your phone or a browser or on your computer or something there's a small footprint but inside the organizations there's 10 to 50 times more applications that those organizations use to run their business and it's all processing you know your data your transactions their workflows they all are automated with software and so people historically people have called those like internal apps versus like external facing apps yep. and i think that distinction is really broken down to the point of being meaningless these days uh those internal so-called internal apps are just as much at risk as the external facing ones because the the perimeter has really disintegrated uh you know all it takes is one attacker to get inside your organization on one laptop that maybe i don't yep. know some developer hasn't locked down securely enough and now the attacker's inside and they have access to all those internal apps uh so it it really it's all external when you think yep. about it and all the data flows starts external probably at some point coming from the user potentially anyway. So all the information that they're a lot of the information or the data they're dealing with those ground rules. If it's customer data, it you know it's just it's just where it flows down from, I suppose. Yeah, I mean people get transfixed by the the personal information or the you know how many records were breached, but I've never really thought of that as a good measure of how how interesting something is from a security perspective i mean frankly those the integrity of those systems like is is that data trustworthy is 
much more interesting? Is it, you know, is there a denial of service attack that would prevent you from, I don't know, accessing your money or your healthcare information when you need it? Uh, can you process, tra- uh, you know, can you buy something with a credit card when you need to do that? Like yeah. those risks, you know, we don't really even think as much about because everyone's focused on like, is my PII getting disclosed? Well, frankly, your PII is probably already out there. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it probably, yeah, so I suppose that's a kind of question as well on kind of how organizations can effectively kind of measure and, and track success around kind of application application security. I mean, you mentioned that there are, you know, lo- you know organizations that might have kind of hundreds of thousands potentially of, of vulnerabilities, yeah. um, but, you know, kind of, you know, but, but, but they're still successful and they're doing well. I mean, how do we, how do we measure success beyond just kind of, you know, kind of potential holes or vulnerabilities or, you know, what it, the kind of framework that we can do to be able to help drive that continuous improvement but the best way of driving that is of you know measuring things is a, is a good way of being able to track progress yeah and look there's there's a number of frameworks that are out there there's the nist cybersecurity framework there's uh, several from owasp there's asvs there's you know there's a bunch there's no no shortage of standards uh, no. i think what organizations need to do is put together an AppSec program that they would be proud to talk about publicly. Like imagine that all of that was public. What, what are you doing to secure your applications? Is that something you can be proud of? If it is, then you're ready. You can go, you can go talk about it. And, you know, I think people will be uh, understanding if, you know, there's an oversight and you have a breach, if you respond quickly and, and take yeah. care of it, people are generally okay. But, I, I, I know a lot of organizations that probably aren't ready to be public about their AppSec program because they're not doing good security testing on every application. Matter of fact, many organizations only test you know, sort of what they would consider the critical applications. They're not doing a lot for the, the other 90% of their applications. Yeah. Uh, many organizations uh, you know, aren't doing the same level of rigor on their APIs that they do on more traditional web applications. That's crazy because most of the modern web apps are really, they're just APIs on the back end. So, you know, I think the organizations that are doing it right should have no problem being transparent because it's not a lot of extra work. They just have to, here's what we do. Uh, But there are a lot of organizations that aren't really doing enough and they should really be thinking about scrambling a little bit here to improve their programs because transparency to me, I believe is inevitable. It's coming to every market, every sector. It's not just you know government vendors. It's everyone's going to have to really be much more transparent about their AppSec programs. Yeah, and and it's what's driving that. We've kind of touched on government a, a couple of times. Something that the the tech industry, I think, kind of isn't necessarily always kind of by default fond of is is legislation. Um, you know, and kind of input from government. But what what you know, how do you see that 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 role of of of, of government in terms of kind of mandating? greater transparency, adherence to, from, uh, to, for frameworks, kind of, you know, taking corporate responsibility for, you know, for, for AppSec. Yeah. Well, I wrote the OWASP Top 10 in 2002. And in the last 20 years, it really hasn't changed very much. I was kind of hoping that it would get better over time. Yeah. And that by now we'd be dealing with a whole different set of risks than, than back then. But really, it's the same stuff in that list. And that's yeah. a little... Disappointing. So I would say that you know the industry hasn't self-regulated 
it hasn't decided to uh, you know put the work in to make software more secure and, and more resilient. So I think there's a market failure going on. And it's appropriate for government to step in when there's a failure in the market. Governments can step in. They can intervene to prevent monopolies. They can intervene to uh, protect folks uh, from pollution and things like that. Uh, and software security is a market where there's some kind of problem. I believe that the, the core of the problem is, and you mentioned this earlier, is that consumers don't really have the same understanding of how secure something is as the producers. And so, yeah. you know, in economics, they would say that there's a asymmetric information problem. And you can read, there's a paper called The Market for Lemons, and there's some research on this, but the, the core of it is that uh, in situations like that, the the solution is probably to change, you know, to make the information balanced between producers and consumers. Then consumers can make informed decisions, and the market will help fix itself. To me, that's the most unobtrusive kind of intervention in the market that the government can make. They could do other yeah. things, like they could put, they could create a liability scheme, and you know, there's some in the U.S. that are talking about that. They could create a tax incentives for secure software. They could create a tort regime. Like you could sue somebody if they produce insecure software for negligence. And yep. I don't think we want any of that. That's all that, you know, other industries have that. Those are problematic. I think the least intrusive thing is to just have companies disclose what they're doing. They don't even have to change what they're doing. If they want, if they think that they can be a profitable company selling insecure software, Okay, maybe they're right. Maybe that's what the market wants. Maybe they can do it cheaper than someone producing more secure software. I don't think so, but uh, you know that might be a gamble they want to take. But all we're talking about is just disclose what you're already doing. If you're embarrassed about what you're doing, then you should probably change what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, so yeah, yeah. Produce software that you're proud of. But I think that that industry should embrace this because if they don't then much more onerous regimes are coming liability yeah. and you know negligence and so on and i don't i don't really think anybody wants that no 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 definitely not i suppose and it's it kind of like it'll be interesting to see as organizations begin to do that whether we then begin to see um you know kind of the, the, the consumers and the public begin to leverage the market power that they have to be able to to choose organizations that that do protect their software because I think you know it, it again it feels a slow journey but people are beginning to understand their own information the value of their data that you know the mantra people are like you know if you're not paying for the product you are the product all the various breaches that have come out in recent times and and the value of the data that people had I think people are beginning to understand that a lot better and I think that could help in that movement of people beginning to vote with well with their feet or with their digits i suppose and and yeah. move to organizations that do kind of respect that a little bit more i think it it will work and that it's already working it's it you know this s-bomb push recently is really having an effect and it just makes sense right like i don't eat in restaurants that have an f in the window uh i don't, yeah, eat, yeah, yeah. I don't stay in yeah, yeah. hotels that get one star reviews from folks like i I don't know. I would choose the I would, if I if I had the option, I would choose a bank that 
has published their information and is scores very well on security. I wouldn't choose a bank that says, you know, we, we you know, don't test our software for security. Yeah. That would be and it'd, be, it'd be interesting to see. We kind of like, you know, again, the kind of, it, it, it's not, there isn't always a great track record, and you mentioned it, of like, of, you know, kind of within industries of, of companies marking their own homework. But having a, that kind of body that can be able to, you know, do, whether it's the equivalent of food hygiene safety certificate of, of verification, that could be, a, you know, a really good way. And, and it, it feels like a really kind of a grown up responsible way of approaching. Uh, kind of security as a you know cyber security as an organization and as a as a as an industry yeah i really like the attestation approach that's uh yeah. you know currently being promoted by the omb here in the u.s and they basically said like we're going to use the nist ssdf the secure software development framework and there's like it's not a, a tremendously onerous set of requirements there's like 40 requirements in there it's not a huge number and it's basic stuff like that everyone should be doing. And they just said, you need to, to attest to the fact that you're performing these 40 basic requirements. And then the CEO has to sign it or someone that CEO delegate designates has to sign it. And that's a little bit different, right? Cause it sounds like uh, a little bit like Sarbanes-Oxley here in the States where people yeah. have to certify their financial results. Well, you know, now the CEO has to stand behind the security results. And so I think that's really going to drive companies to do a better job at AppSec. Yeah. And then hopefully kind of, you know, work on it because a lot of this comes from that culture within an organization that, you know, is it is it built in that approach around transparency, openness and having a, you know, kind of responsibility towards security, I suppose, having that, you know, baking in that that culture when, you know, I talk a lot about cybersecurity culture of having, you know, a transparency for every employee of being, you know, if they get a phishing email, they think they've clicked on a link of not being afraid to go, I'm not going to mention this because I don't want to be, I don't want to feel stupid you know kind of, of no matter what role that they have of having that openness even within an organization to make their voice heard to be able to make their point to be able to disclose potential issues building that that culture is really you know is i think really really important and then you know that will will be what helps transform organizations yeah i think well i mean you know i think it's a combination of culture uh, and people process and technology and you know the the technology does make a difference i, I spent a lot of time thinking about this because i i spent many years as a consultant i did lots of training i've worked with people i've helped set up appsec programs with lots of process and you know now i sell a, a appsec product and they really work together like the same way that uh you know you're you're people and process are going to be different if you're using shovels or if you're using a bulldozer. Yep. And uh, sometimes you need a bulldozer. And AppSec is kind of one of those situations. There's so much work to do that it's, you know, you could have the greatest culture in the world, but if you don't have some help from tools and process, it's really, it's not going to get done. Yep. And, and as you kind of mentioned at the top, that having these tools and this technology is, is essential because of the, the sheer scale and complexity now, being able to do, you know, kind of having that scale, that automation and that efficiency is, you know, you, you just can't do that, at a, you know, kind of without those tools anymore. Well, particularly when we talk about transparency, one of the best rules for tools is just to 
gather data about what the current situation is. People are pretty good at making the right choice if you put the, the situation in front of them. It's the fact that AppSec is mostly hidden, that you don't see it unless it's right in your face. And so that automation, making it part of your pipelines uh, so that you can verify every single code change, every single build, every single test suite, that you, you can see that you've done the security work, that can give you confidence to push code into production even faster uh, than you could do yeah. with you know, even a team of, of pen testers and consultants. And, and, and that kind of building confidence, if people can do this stuff quickly and, you know, and that fits within that, that kind of, you know, that, that DevOps kind of uh, culture that they have and that, those processes of, of, of doing things on an agile basis, building in, being able to respond quickly, do it in a kind of, you know, in a, in a block level, as you say, rather than waiting to just do one big test at the end that then says no and you go, okay, well, we've got to start again, you know, kind of that, that, that kind of just, it's a continual reinforcement of confidence, I suppose. Yeah, I'll, I'll just spend a second and, and comment on accuracy for a second because it's, it, it's always been one of the most critical things to me is that whatever automation you're using, it has to be accurate. If it's not accurate, then you need people to come in and clean up the mess, right? Whether it's false positives or false negatives, you're going to have to have people come in and do the extra work to clean that up. So it's really not automated. Yep. If you have accurate tools, then you can count on them and they can actually automate the job, but it has to be accurate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of, so kind of where, where next do you see in terms of kind of the, the development of the, the, the tools and in terms of in kind of where, where application security is going to kind of go in terms of the, you know, the, the next few years? And, and, yeah. and also, I suppose, in terms of the, you know, where you're, where you're seeing kind of the, you know, the threats coming at it from, you know, from bad actors in terms of how, how that's evolving. Yeah, so... I think we, we saw a phase of uh, what I'll call shift left uh, hysteria. And I think in theory, it's a good idea. But in practice, what ended up happening was a lot of organizations uh, pushed responsibility for security down onto developers without giving them the tools and skills that they needed to do that job. And so it ended up not really working very well. I saw a bunch of organizations, they would turn on tools really early, like, you know, in the code repo before things even built. And they ended up generating just an avalanche of false positives or, or vulnerabilities that weren't exploitable. And you end up wasting a lot of time. You spend all your security resources just cleaning up that mess and not really providing a lot of value. So I've been advocating a shift smart approach, which is, hey, look at where the most strategic place is to do various kinds of tasks. Like, you may not want to find, you know, search for SQL injection or, or anything that involves data flow. You probably don't want to search for that really early in the process because you can't really do data flow analysis very well early in the process. Static tools aren't very good at it. It's much more efficient to do that later with runtime security tools like interactive application security testing and things like that. So, you know, just being smart about where you do these tests, these tests so that they're efficient and accurate, that's going to end up being your, your best program. 
Um, so I'm, I'm seeing that shift smart movement. I'm seeing a lot more uh, investment in runtime security in general. People yep. have realized like in order to make smart decisions, you need that the context of the fully assembled running application. That's how you will know if it's a real vulnerability, if it's actually exploitable and uh, you know, all the context that you need to go fix it correctly. And so, you know, some of these tools that run without a lot of context, like static tools and dynamic tools early, uh, I think there's, they're falling out of favor a little bit. Um, so I'm excited about that. Uh, and then the same thing in production. Uh, I don't think perimeter protection is really the right way to do uh, application layer security in production to detect attacks. You know, if you look at like a WAF or something, or even some of the, the newer API security tools, they're really just looking at network traffic. And it's yeah, very yeah. difficult to tell whether there's an attack inside that traffic or not. You know, if you're looking at a serialized object going back and forth over the network, you can't really look inside that in a perimeter device and see like, oh, that's an attack. So the runtime security approach there is let's look at how that application actually behaves. What is it doing with that data? Is it deserializing it? Okay, uh, let's look at that as it's being deserialized and see if there's an attack in there. Like, does that deserialization process try to launch some malicious act? That's something we can detect and stop really effectively. And so I'm encouraging people to you know make sure they use runtime protection on their their application infrastructure, like install it on all their platforms, because it's just such a uh, it's such a cost effective way of getting a lot of protection without a lot of human capital spent. Yeah, and and, and that's that's the reality for a lot of organisations as well. Now, is obviously is always going to be getting the best return from from their investment and being able to automate as much as possible. Right. Right. Exactly. So, and, and, and just the, the, the final, oh, sorry, Cam. I was just going to say one, one cool thing that I've been working on recently is the security observability space. No, uh, no. It's pretty new, but uh, we, like, in contrast, we're going to be able to produce what we call a digital security blueprint of every single application and API, every workload. And what we'll show, it's not about finding vulnerabilities. It's not about uh, you know, detecting problems. It's really about just showing how these applications work. And then you can use that information to put problems in context. So yeah. you know, this, this blueprint will show things like the whole attack surface, all the security defenses that are on each route, what each route does that's kind of interesting from a security perspective, like uh, you know, whether it does encryption or access control, uh, is it talking to a database, and then all the backend connections for each route. So right. that, that provides the context that so many organizations are really seeking. Uh, with a digital security blueprint, if someone shows you a vulnerability, you can say, oh, now I get it. I understand how that vulnerability fits into this app. And it's the same thing on the attack side. If someone's attacking you, it's really useful to know, like, well, where's the attack in the blueprint? Like what, what piece of it are they attacking? What's the risk to me? What's the blast radius? And uh, so that's something that I've been spending a lot of time on recently. We'll be launching something at the end of July. So I'm really excited to, to bring that to market. 
No, that sounds really exciting. And, and I think that's, that's how organisations ultimately are going to be able to get the best use of their resources of understanding context because it's, there's, you know, whatever part of cybersecurity you're working on, there's a lot of noise going on out there at any one time. So being able to focus your energies is, is critical. Yeah, context is the key to accuracy and accuracy is the key to scalability. And so scalability is really the problem that everyone has, right? So ultimately, uh, uh, Michael Coates once told me, if it doesn't scale, it doesn't matter. And yeah. I think he was exactly right. And, you know, talking about AppSec, he's exactly right. Yeah, no, absolutely good point. Um, and then kind of just uh, finally on the, the, the kind of from a, a threat perspective um, in terms of kind of how you, you're seeing that evolving over the next few years where, you know, kind of what are the kind of accept community need to be kind of looking out for in terms of, you know, kind of defending, uh, defending against where, you know, where that threat is going to be evolving. Well, you know, people think security moves so fast, but the reality is that at least in AppSec, it's really been the same list of stuff. For a long time, I mean, there's yeah. there's changes on the margin here and there. Uh, you know, I think uh, there's been a lot of focus on library security and open source and, and things like that, and, and people should get up to speed on that. But you know, at OWASP, we started talking about that back in 2012. We added it to the OWASP top 10 in 2013. It's been a decade uh, that we've been yeah. talking about insecure libraries. So you know, the good news is that that's not changing very much. I think um, there's a new OS project, uh, uh, top 10 for large language model uh, applications. And I think that's really interesting. It's very early. People should join. Uh, it, there's already a community of almost 400 people that have pitched in and produced a new top 10. Uh, but it's really good. There's, there's been like 20 different articles written in the process of developing this, uh, this model. And so I, I think it's really, it's, it's good work and people should stay abreast of that because AI is likely to change a lot of the landscape of application security risk. So, you know, understanding new risks, uh, you know, like hallucination and uh, uh, data set poisoning and, and things like that, are, are, it's really going to be an interesting part of AppSec over the next, I don't know, probably five years at least. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we came to so close to nearly not discussing AI. So, but I'm glad we. Yep, I'm glad sorry. we. We made no. We made no. No, it's got. It, it, it's compulsory. I believe it's contractually obliged. We, we've got to do it at yeah, some point. Right. So. So uh, one thing I was kind of like to like to finish on now we're kind of going to reach the, the top of the d discussion. Um, always like to be able to kind of from a practical tip perspective, whether it's one of our kind of channel partners or if it's a kind of end user working in a in an AppSec team, maybe. In terms of a, a takeaway, in terms of one thing, a practical piece of advice. What's the after having a listen to this? What's the first thing that you'd recommend someone did in terms of you know evaluating kind of you know either their AppSec posture in terms of reviewing their their processes, talking to their their customer about it. What's that kind of simple first step anybody can take in terms of, you know, kind of, you know, a step forward in terms of, you know, moving towards a, a better AppSec situation? I'll say it really depends on kind of where you are. There, there's such a range of organizations out there that, you know, some are doing a pretty good job at AppSec. You know, they they've understand their application inventory. They're doing the right kind of security testing. They've got feedback loops, and they're basically pushing secure code into production. Um, but other organizations are really just getting started. 
and you know, it's, it, I've, I've been doing this for a long time, so it's always kind of a surprise when you run into a, a big insurance company or something that's not really doing much in the way of AppSec, but they're out there. And yeah. uh, so I think, you know, for, for me, the AppSec process is always about identifying your biggest risk and working on that. And then once you've solved it, you move to the next biggest risk and solving that. And that's a very DevSecOps kind of way of thinking about the problem. And so you have to, the first step is always like, well, let me figure out what my biggest risk is. Many people think that means they've got to go do this in-depth risk analysis and figure out all the risks and then choose their biggest one. But it's really not. It's a pretty fast process to identify your biggest risk. Yeah, like yeah. if you're not doing anything about SQL injection, that's probably your biggest risk. If you've, you know, if you've haven't done something to standardize your authentication and access control, that's probably your biggest risk. And so like you can zoom in on those and work on those risks first and then start moving down the list. Uh, I, I just encourage people to, to know your biggest risk because really nothing else matters. Yeah. Right. What matters more than your biggest risk? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it seems to really, better be yeah. fixing that <laughs> because if you can yeah. fix a hundred little risks and not change your overall risk posture at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sometimes the simplest approach is the best. Well, Jeff, I really want to thank you very much. That was absolutely fascinating. Really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate it. Smashing. Uh, thanks everybody for for listening, and don't forget to listen out for the next episode. Other than that, have a great rest of your day. Thanks very much. Here we go.